Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lost souls Welcome back, everyone, to the 39th episode of the Take the Points podcast. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined, as always, by Arjun Menon, where we will be talking about a full Saturday slate for the first time in podcast history. So, you know, for everyone that, you know, tells us we don't talk about Saturday games, here are the Saturday games that we're going to talk about today. So, Arjun, how are you feeling? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we don't talk about Saturday games because not, it's not real football. But uh, now that we got a full slate, it's, it's going to be exciting. Um, I mean, I know you and me are both going to be traveling on Saturday. So hopefully we're still able to watch as much football as we can. Um, but yeah, we're going to, you know, at least you know, I'll be out of the country. You'll be out of Michigan. So, um, you know, first of all, like happy holidays to everyone. I hope everyone, you know, stays safe and enjoys the time with their family, but also making sure to account for one of the three important Fs, which is, you know, football. So um, yeah, pretty, pretty excited for this weekend. Definitely. And yeah, that was something that wasn't accounted for when, you know, our families booked our flights for, you know, where, where we're going for <laughs> winter break here. But, you know, it, I have a chance of, you know, snowstorm coming in and, you know, letting me watch the Lions game, uh, you know, from at home instead of on an airplane. So, you know, hope hope that can go through. But we're not going to talk about the Lions today. We're going to talk about, um, you know, some other in- really interesting games, you know, with, with all of them being on Saturday here. And then we have a, a game on Sunday that's really intriguing, as well as the Monday night game that we should also talk about. So why don't we jump into Giants-Vikings, where the Vikings are four-point favorites at home. You know, really interesting matchup from an NFC playoff picture perspective. What are some of your initial thoughts on this game? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think the Giants and Vikings, the way that kind of like the, their teams are set up, the, the way they're run, uh, the way that um, they're coached are completely different because, you know, just starting on the defensive side of the ball, the Vikings are a too high, like primarily too high team, very light boxes. Um, you know, one of the things I was looking at, so the Vikings have the lightest boxes on early downs of any team uh, in the league this year. Um, that exact number is um six point uh three six and the giants have the heaviest boxes on early downs uh with 7.1 and like given that both of these teams kind of play neutral game scripts the entire game almost every giants and vikings game feels like a one score game where it's like them coming from behind and winning it like it's not skewed by them playing from behind or them always playing from ahead right so it's interesting to like see the different defensive philosophies can play into here um obviously we know wink martindale is one of the most unique defensive coordinators in the nfl ben brown's scheme uniqueness graph shows that you know he kind of just does whatever he wants he doesn't follow any trends he he sticks with what he knows um and yeah i i think it's it's going to be a pretty interesting like philosophical game um, especially on the defensive side of the ball from two teams that kind of have differing defensive philosophies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think the matchup to watch in this game is, you know, the giants being the most blitz heavy team in the NFL. And, you know, they, they do rank 18th um, in EPA per pass when blitzing. So like, it's not like they've gotten home 
that often, um, you know, but I think as their defensive line mm-hmm. really starts to get going here, you know, especially their edge rushers uh, with Thibodeau and uh, Aziz Ojolare, like I, I think they're playing at a higher level where they could really get home in this game against the Vikings offensive line that we've seen struggle against high end edges, like in the Vikings Cowboys game uh, from, from earlier this season. And then Kirk Cousins, you know, his whole career, he's been good against, you know, when he's not blitz, you know, he's, top 10 this year and e-paper drop back uh not against the blitz but he's bottom five um you know with the same e-paper drop back as matt ryan and carson wentz win blitz this year so that's been you know kind of the the problem for them this year and you know the the trend that we've talked about multiple times is the vikings as an offense have gotten more aggressive with you know a higher average of the target and more uh throws 15 plus yards down the field since trading for tj hawkinson because of what you know it allows justin jefferson to do from a route perspective so when you're going to be blitzed as much as they can, you know, I'm expecting a lot more screens to KJ Osborne, um, you know, quicker passes to Justin Jefferson and, you know, maybe like middle of the field throws to, to Hawkinson instead of the more deeper developing concepts that they've liked to do recently, just because, you know, it's, it's going to be blitzes like 30, 40, 40% of the time by, by Wing Martindale in this game, which I think will be like super interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know blitzing Kirk Cousins is, is has been successful, like you talked about bottom five EPA versus the blitz this year. But right now there is no one on the Giants defense I trust to guard Justin Jefferson, especially with the Dory Jackson out. So it is like a very like interesting opportunity cost that Kirk Cousins has been bad versus the blitz, but do you do you really believe you have the guys to hold up on the back end? I mean, you look at some of the Giants like recent games almost every wide receiver one has gone for like 70 yards or more McLaurin 70 AJ Brown 70 McLaurin at 100 on December 4th um Amonra had 70 plus um the Cowboys CD Lamb had 106 without a Dory Jackson so you can see like wide receiver ones kind of do their work versus the Giants like pretty well and I think Justin Jefferson's probably gonna have a huge day um I don't know what his receiving props gonna open up at but like I'm assuming it's gonna be in like the 90s and that's something like I would definitely think about taking the over the other part about this game, so the Giants and the Vikings are the two worst defenses versus play action per EPA per dropback, which I thought is pretty interesting. And it's interesting given that the Vikings have invested big contracts into Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr, and yet they're still this bad versus play action. So, you know, given so think if we think about it this way, right? The Vikings have the lightest boxes on early downs, yet they suck versus play action. Like, do you think? Like, do you think the coaches are are telling the linebackers, like, because we're playing lighter boxes, you need to crash harder against the run because we're not going to have the safeties in run support because they're not playing single high, they're playing too high. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know you've done a lot of great work with linebacker play. Like, is that something you see potentially the Vikings have coached their linebackers to do? Or do you think it's just like a mm-hmm. a weird stat? No, you're 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 definitely on the right path there. When, you know, the the Vikings are kind of setting up this, you know, heavy too high defense, playing the most zone coverage in the league where safeties aren't in the box, instead of plugging gaps, like we usually see, you know, too high defenses, especially the linebackers and defensive linemen want to plug gaps. The Vikings linebackers need to feel like they have to shoot through the gaps and, you know, stop the running back before they get to the second level because they know that there's not much behind them, right? Like the, if the running back were to get through the second level and to, to them and they were to miss a tackle, that could be an explosive run where if you had an extra defender in the box from a safety, you could plug, you know, all three of the remaining gaps that the four down defensive linemen didn't plug. And like, that's what's been happening with the Vikings this year is they're playing such off coverage and, you know, they're, they're like not getting, you know, close to the, the receivers, the receiving options, you know, at all that often. 
And like, mm-hmm. that's what we've seen from them um, where like, yeah, team teams can kind of do what they want in the, in the past game against them. Um, but, you know, I think like there, there was some kind of noise where, you know, against the, uh, and our, our friend Sean Syed pointed this out, you know, the second half against the Colts was like a totally different game plan where they went into more man coverage than they usually do. And they're kind of changing up some of the things that they do, because I think, you know, Ed Donatel is starting to realize, you know, five games in a row of giving up 400 plus yards, like something's <laughs> got to change eventually. Yeah. And like his picks might be more man coverage in this game, which, you know, going up against the Giants uh, receiver group where I, I really like Darius Slayton, but the rest of it isn't you know, all that appealing can be something where you can test out your man coverage abilities. Um, because if it doesn't work against this team, then it won't work against many other teams uh, when you get into the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I, even though Minnesota secondary is kind of weak, I do think they have the talent advantage on the outside. And again, one of the things that me and our friend Judah Forking looked at over the summer is when you have the advantage on the outside on defense, you want to be playing man because the talent will shine through. But in zone, you're kind of inviting variance because you know, the quarterbacks can kind of pick apart your zone and kind of target the weaker links. Um, that, that kind of stays true in man, but because the Vikings don't, because the Vikings don't really have a map, matchup disadvantage, there's not really anyone for Jones to target. Whereas like if you're the Viking, if you're the Giants, I don't know if you want to play man because Jefferson, Hawkinson, Thielen, like they're all pretty good against man coverage, or at least Jefferson and Hawkinson are. So you don't really want to be relying on, you know, your backup corners if you're the Giants to kind of slow down Justin Jefferson and Cage Osborne and Adam Thielen. So um, I, I do think from that perspective, it's it's a pretty interesting trade-off. And again, like both of these teams are kind of trending towards the playoffs. The Giants with their win now 8-5-1, and one, I believe, or 8-6, no, 8-5-1, yeah. And um, like, where do you, where do you see like these teams going, not only for this year, but but 2023 as well, because, I mean, both these teams are kind of overperformed relative to market expectation. Both have already pretty much hit their win total overs uh, since the offseason. So what do you see in terms of the long term outlook for these teams? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad we're talking about kind of like what these teams are going to do, because, yeah, like you mentioned, they are both going to make the playoffs this year when the Giants definitely didn't expect to make the playoffs. And the Vikings, I, you know, were like a 50 50 shot uh, coming into the season. So. You know, from the Vikings perspective, I think if any GM were to understand that a team's record wasn't indicative or indicative of how they played in the regular season, it would be Vikings GM Kwesi Adofamenza. And, you know, he sh- I think he will understand that, you know, the Vikings overperformed this mm-hmm. year. Um, you know, some of the signings that he made, you know, with Patrick Peterson and Zadarius Smith, you know, are, are, are doing really well. And like the Hawkinson trade, you know, has worked out well for them, you know, this season. But there's still a lot of pieces, especially in the secondary, that they do need to clean up. And, you know, they they do get Lewis seen, you know, back from injury. But there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, with that type of injury from that perspective. So I think next year for the Vikings should be a retooling year. Whether or not ownership, you know, wants them to kind of push more chips in to the middle of the table because they saw that they won for you know, like 12 games, let's say, this year and like thought that they were close to, you know, potentially making a run is, you know, something that that we don't know right now. But I, I think like they, they will want to probably take a step back next year and just like shoot for 2024 as the, the year that the Vikings can like really compete for the NFC from the Giants perspective, I think that they will still continue on their normal plan, uh, move on from Daniel Jones, move on from Saquon Barkley. Like we've seen them basically run Saquon Barkley as much as they can this yeah. year, uh, showing, you know, he's probably not going to last uh, with the Giants. And he has like kind of deteriorated throughout the, the season because like that's a lot of hits that build up 
Um, so, you know, I think Vikings will, will still, um, you know, hopefully will retool and then the, the Giants will, um, you know, kind of continue their rebuild as, as planned. Yep. Um, you know, early in the season, I kind of made the proclamation that this Giants team, when they were like 2-0, 3-0, gave me 2017 Bills vibes that, and it's, it's the exact same regime with, with Jones Shane, Brian Dable, who were on that coaching staff in 2017, uh, and front office with the Buffalo. And yeah, like they're going to, they're probably going to make the playoffs this year. And, you know, they, they're making it with a quarterback that might not be their starter next year, right? Remember in 2017, they made the playoffs with Terrell Taylor, with LaShawn McCoy. And then the next year, they're just like, I think Shady was still on the team. But, you know, obviously, I think he either got traded or released at some point or he, he played that year out and then didn't stick with the team. I don't, I don't really know what they should do with Saquon Barkley because, you know, I, I know we're very analytically driven. And right to to us, I think it's probably smart that you don't pay Saquon Barkley given all the carries and touches he's kind of accumulated. But from a non-analytical perspective, like we've both played sports, like we kind of understand what leadership, what like, you know, um, how like team uh, the, the environment will be if if Saquon isn't resigned. That's like the fate that he literally is the face of the franchise. Mm-hmm. So like, how do you go about like, if you're Joe Shane, like how much should that weigh into your process of paying Saquon Barkley 13, 14, $15 million a year versus letting him walk and, you know, being able to explain to your players, like, you know, this just wasn't the decision we wanted to make. Like, I, I don't know like how that comes about. I'm curious if like you would have a good approach to that or like, just like if you would just like say, you know, screw your feelings, like where this is like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. No, this is, this is a great topic. And this is, you know, why when a lot of, uh, you know, heavy analytics people uh, kind of came after the 49ers for, you know, giving Fred Warner as big of an extension as they did. We kind of defended it because, you know, you, you have to sign really good players that you draft and like the players that do well, you want them to see that they can be rewarded with a top end contract. And, you know, Saquon is a good running back overall. Um, you know, he's, he's had a, a pretty good season and, you know, I think if they can work out something, you know, a little bit less to the Nick Chubb deal that uh, Chubb got from the Browns, I think could be something that works out for both sides where you're not breaking the bank and you're not like a, you know, top three highest paid running back in the league, but you're still, mm-hmm. you know, top 10 paid, you're, you're, you're getting enough money, but, you know, Saquon also understands, you know, his positional value and kind of like where he stacks up among running backs. And like, if he wants to stay in New York, he might have to take less money to make it happen. I think that could be a win, be a win-win for both sides. There, it's just going to be really tough for that regime to thread the needle. Um, so, you know, I'm yeah. very curious to see how that plays out if they decide to go for that direction. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and like you talked about uh, with the Fred Warner deal, like Fred Warner is a great player. Like you just. I understand paying linebackers are not that good, but Fred Warren, like I I used to compare linebackers to centers in the NBA that the elite ones like are very, Mm -hmm. very elite. Like Fred Warner is Nikola Jokic or he's Joel Mm -hmm. Embiid. Like he's a dominant player. He's not like a, like a Dwight Powell where he's replaceable, right? Like you have to like be able to kind of like understand those things. And, um, you know, I know some people can get too analytically driven, but it's a, it's an interesting decision. I would love, I don't know if Eric's listening to this. I would love for Eric Eager and Thomas Dimitrov to have this exact debate mm-hmm. about whether to resign Saquon Barkley, because from Thomas's perspective, I think it would be super cool to hear like how emotions and like team leadership plays into all of this. But um, Eric, if you're listening to this, I would love to hear it as a topic at some point in one of your future episodes. Um, but yeah, and you know, I know we didn't talk about the Vikings too much. I know you gave your long-term outlook. I, I agree completely that 
Quasi smart, smart enough to understand they probably overperformed this year and their one score games are going to regress eventually. It's probably next year, but um, yeah, they should definitely be looking towards 2024 to kind of push their chips mm-hmm. um, all in. But let's let's move on to Bengals Patriots. We sit on that game for a while, um, but Bengals Patriots is an interesting one, right? Two teams kind of like right now going, it feels like going in opposite directions. The Bengals have been on an absolute hot streak. Um beating the bucks in like a weird way where it was again tail two halves um do you have like any like big like insights or takeaways from this game that you're like you want to share yeah i mean it's something that you've mentioned a lot uh whether it's been on this show or the pff forecast when you go on and it's you know the patriots a defensive back room is built really well to stop wide receiver twos and and they've done a good job of that this year. But the Bengals have two wide receiver ones, right? Like, yeah. you know, Kevin Cole has been working on uh, adjusted EPA per play right now, which, you know, for anyone out there that hasn't seen it, you know, go check out his sub stack that you can find through his Twitter because it's really good work right now. And, you know, what, what he's found from when you adjust for EPA based on receivers, drops, dropped interceptions, fumble luck, blocking, and strength of schedule, once you adjust for all that stuff, Bur- Joe Burrow is getting the most help in the league right now, right? Be- from mostly mm-hmm. because of his how good his receivers have been, and so you know when when you have receivers that are three receivers that are top twenty four in ESPN's open score, and they've had sixteen um, uh, extra EPA per play or EPA added from uh, yards after catch, and they never drop the ball, right? They're they're the best yeah. at like not dropping the ball in the entire league. When you add all that stuff up you can see how good these receivers are. And that's what I think is going to happen in this game where Jamar Chase and T Higgins are just going to be able to do, you know, kind of what they want with, uh, with Jack Jones and Marcus Jones, you know, from, from the Patriots perspective. And like, I think the Patriots defense has, you know, grinded this year. Like they got the pick six last week just to keep the Patriots in the game, you know, as the Patriots offense and special teams kept shooting themselves in the foot. And like, that's going to be, you know, another game here. But again, like, it's like, Belichick's like doing a good job from a defensive perspective, but you know, his mistakes with hiring Matt Patricia as an offensive coordinator is what's <laughs> costing the, the Patriots a, a playoff spot here. But I, I just don't think this defense is, you know, high end enough to really stop the Bengals in this game. Yeah. I, I also worry about what Belichick is going to do on defense. Like it, it's kind of been proven year in and year out that you can't play single high against the Bengals. And that's what Belichick loves to do. He's going to play cover one and he's going to play cover three. So just some numbers, the Patriots play cover one about 29% of the time and they play cover three 37% of the time. Joe Burrow averages a 0.264 EPA per dropback versus cover one versus cover three, 0.096. So on average, he's probably averaging about like 0.15, 0.16 EPA per dropback versus like single high coverages where he struggles is versus quarters, right? And teams, it, it's tough to run quarters because the Bengals do have a good offensive line and usually you're taking another safety out of the box. I know Joe Mixon isn't that great of a running back anymore, but, you know, teams, I feel like still respect the Bengals run game for whatever reason. And they don't run quarters that often. And again, Belichick only runs quarters about nine, uh, 10% of the time. So I'm curious to see what the, if the Patriots switch up their scheme, because if they're going to play cover one and three, leave their island, leave their corners on islands, you're going to lose this game. And you're going to lose it by at least like 10, in my opinion, because your offense isn't good enough to keep up with the Bengals offense. Like your offense sucks. You, you scored 
you know, you bear Mac Jones averaged a negative 0.17 EPA per play versus the, the Raiders secondary. The Bengals mm-hmm. secondary is, or the Bengals defense in general is great. And, you know, I know the one issue with this game, I guess, for the Bengals is the weather, but, you know, it's not like Ohio is like a warm weather place. Like Joe Burrow's like kind of played in the cold before. So I, I think to me, like this game comes down to like how much Belichick adjusts his scheme. Um, and I don't know if he's really going to do that because I think he is one of those coaches who who likes to kind of believe his players can execute rather than like adjust the scheme to fit the opponent. Right. But, you know, Belichick's still one of the best. I, I don't I'm not going to count him out in this game. I just like don't really see a way that the Patriots keep up with the Bengals offense, given that they don't have the players on the outside to hold up with Chase and Higgins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And like, I, I think the Patriots defense has played really well this year, but Joe Burrow and the rest of the Bengals offense has, you know, played at even a higher level uh, through through most of the season, especially since they got out of their slump from the beginning of the season. And, you know, something our, our friend Sharp Clark, um, you know, has pointed out on Twitter a, a couple times is the Patriots really got all of their wins this season against uh, backup quarterbacks or, you know, backup level quarterbacks. So, you know, they, mm-hmm. they beat the Steelers with Trubisky, Browns with Brissett, uh, beat the Jets twice with Zach Wilson, uh, Colts when they were starting Sam Ellinger and then the Cardinals most recently um, when Kyler Murray got injured in that game they had to start Colt McCoy and like all their losses have been you know to, to starting quarterbacks and like pretty good quarterbacks like, they've had a pretty co- tough quarterback schedule but you know Burrow's definitely up there with you know kind of like the, the Josh Allens um, you know I, I yeah if he's not at, at that level like the Lamar who did really good you know against the Patriots as well so that's why you know I think we're a little bearish on the Patriots defense in this game in general um, you know, flipping it to the other side, you know, I think like the Patriots offense does look better from a talent perspective now that all their receiving options are healthy. But I think, you know, the the amount of screens that they call, um, you know, is, is pretty minus EV in general. You know, screens don't have that high of an efficiency. You'd, you'd like to see a lot more of those easy buttons that, you know, we like to talk about press more often, you know, you'd like to see them get back to a higher play action rate, you know, lower average depth of target because that's what Mac Jones could be comfortable yeah. with. And, you know, that when we saw him at his best, uh, you know, his last year at Alabama, it was, a, you know, very high RPO rate and then just hitting, you know, quick passes because like he's, he's really good at that. But when you have him, you know, try to create and like these longer developing routes um, that, down the field that aren't play action and just standard dropbacks, that's where he's really struggled his entire you know career in the league here. And like, that's just happened way more times this year. Uh, which is which has made his efficiency go down and him not not to look as good as the quarterback. Yeah, it, it feels like the Patriots offense kind of goes through their run game with Stevenson and now it's like Kevon Harris. Um, but the thing with the Bengals defense is like they're so balanced on both sides of the ball. So since DJ Reader's come back since week 11, they have the seventh best run defense per rush EPA allowed, the ninth best run defense per success rate allowed on, you know, through rushing uh, through rushing plays. So I don't, again, I don't know what the Patriots are going to be able to do on offense because they can't, they're not, they're probably not going to be able to run the ball against CJ Reader and this uh, Bengals front four, front seven, who are going to get Trey Hendrickson back. Um, and they're not going to be able to like really pass the ball because I don't really trust their, de- their receivers to separate versus the the Bengals secondary, which has played kind of like up to uh, above expectations, even after Chidobio Wuzier has gone down. So yeah, I, I do agree. I don't think Patricia and Judge have done a good job pushing the the like the easy buttons for Mac Jones at all. Um, it 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 does feel weird that it, they did push the easy buttons for uh for Bailey Zappi. It felt like more often, 
Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, the, the thing with the Patriots, like they've gone three and out about 35% of the time, which is like the eighth worst number in the league this year on offense. So you can't like, if you're the Patriots, you can't be giving the ball back to the Bengals continuously. Cause they're going to, they're going to be able to put up points regardless of the weather. So, um, it's going to have to be a good game for Mac Jones, Ramondre Stevenson, like the entire offense. But again, I don't really have that much faith in them, given how well the Bengals have played and given how well Lou Anarumo has kind of like coached up this defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, talking about big Lou, like I, I see a path in this game where Stevenson, you know, kind of does really well on a lot of like running back dump offs or, or screens in the first half and kind of carries the Patriots offense. Maybe it goes like, you know, they're, they're tied going into halftime. And then Big Lou's, you know, halftime adjustments um, <laughs> that have been so good this year, like, like literally, like insane, like the difference between, you know, you know Bengals first half offense, second second half offense, uh, kind of like shuts down the Patriots in the second half, and you know, Bengals end up winning this game by by a score or two. But you know, it'll it'll be interesting. Like you said, we can't ever, you know, cat Belichick out, even if he's lost some of his edge, uh, you know, these these last couple seasons. But you know, moving on to um, Eagles Cowboys here so you know i want to talk about um you know what could the eagles offense look like with gardner Minshew? you know jalen hurts is out for this game with a sprained shoulder you know i think maybe he could play but you know there's there's really no reason to play him in this game and you know gardner Minshew is one of the better uh backups you know in in the league right now and like that's why i think it was a really good trade by howie as we often say uh to, to get <laughs> Minshew on the roster for this game so what do you what do you kind of see from the Eagles offense um you know with Minshew in this game starting against the Cowboys defense yeah I I think they probably lean on the run game a little bit more we've made we've hammered in the point that the Cowboys run defense is kind of their biggest weakness on the roster um their interior D line doesn't have like a lot of like big name players they don't really do a good job stopping the run they also struggle on the edges like kind of containing uh outside zone and inside zone um so i think the eagles if they lean on the run game a little bit more will probably have a little bit more success than passing the ball just because i don't really know what minch is going to give to this offense even though um you know he does have aj brown and Devontae smith and could get dallas goddard back but we've talked about it, the, the gravity that Jalen Hurts has. The Eagles are a top three rushing offense at perfectly blocking runs. And part of that is because of Jalen Hurts. Because mm-hmm. the top uh, the top three rushing attacks are perfectly blocking runs this year are the Ravens, the Eagles, and the Bears. All three rushing quarterbacks, right? And because mm-hmm. linebackers don't flow versus the run, run as well, because edge players can't, like, crash the run as hard because of the threat of a running quarterback it makes it easier for offensive linemen to kind of block against the run so i'm i'm i am curious to see you know if there's a change in the way that uh dallas kind of attacks the eagles run game on the edge and in the inside and also their linebackers but you know the the cowboy secondary isn't that good either like duron bland as their slot corner is okay um trayvon diggs is, is having an okay year is, is having a year you know kind of like as expected based on what we saw last year. I'm um, still playing at a pretty high level, but not like an elite level. I think the Cowboys or the Eagles can take advantage of them in the passing game. But again, like how, like we can't really predict how much Sirianni and Steichen are going to throw, right? Even even if AJ Brown and Devontae Smith are better than what the Cowboys are trotting at their corner. I think, I, I don't, it's it's just tough to predict what they're going to do because we haven't really seen, seen Minshew kind of like step into this situation before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I do want to touch on um, yeah the, the Jalen Hurts uh, aspect of the rushing game. So, you know, Miles Sanders, you know, according to PFF's rushing yards over expected metric has a 0.19 
rushing yards over expected per rush this year. And running backs with that, you know, kind of level of output usually have about a 0.00 EPA per rush. But the Eagles play calling and, you know, more importantly, Hertz is gravity is so big that he is a 0.15 EPA per rush. Miles Sanders mm-hmm. is the most efficient rusher in the league with at least like 90 carries right now. So with with Minshew, you lose all of that. And that's why I think it's it, it's going to be a, actually a pretty different offense. You know, a lot of under center uh, stuff I think we could see in this game. And the Eagles game plan last time was to not run away from Micah Parsons, but run at him, uh, you know, kind of like the Lawrence Taylor method that uh, was, <laughs> was, you know, so often done uh, when, when Taylor was at his peak. And, you know, Parsons deserves that type of treatment. So I think we could see that in this game where it'll be a lot of uh, Miles Sanders and Boston Scott runs, you know, towards Parsons' side as this really good Eagles offensive line attempts to kind of block him. And then also expecting like a low average at the target game, you know, Minshew is going to kind of, three-step, five-step dropbacks. He doesn't turn the ball over, so you don't really yeah. have to worry about that. That often, I think that's his biggest strength. And he can just get the ball in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith's hands and let them work. And yeah, like you mentioned, the Cowboys corners can and have been taking advantage of lately. And the supporting cast is so good for the Eagles. I think that they can take advantage of it. And there's more research from um, Robbie Greer uh, at Greer NFL on Twitter, yeah. who does really, really good work with this stuff. And so, you know, he found that the, a team's previous starters, uh, EPA, um, going into a game with a backup quarterback starting that hasn't started that year has a 0.46 correlation, uh, you know, out of, out of one, basically, which, you know, is, is, is really interesting. And then when you, when you just take kind of like the R squared, you're trying to predict EPA for that game. If you take the, the QB uh, previous season's EPA, the backup quarterback's previous season's EPA, plus mm-hmm. how their team has done that year with the starting quarterback, you get, you know, 11% more information about how that quarterback will perform. So, you know, that's how much the supporting cast, I think, can help them with this game. And above average, uh, you know, um, like backup quarterbacks cover, you know, 54% of the time when they start. And I think Minshew is an above average starting quarterback. So there is a lot of optimism between how good the Eagles supporting cast is you know, Minshew being an above average backup quarterback and how good the play calling can be from uh, Sirianni and Sykin in this game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I I remember watching, um, you know, the lines on unabated sports and I was looking at the the line after uh, Hertz got ruled with an injury at like 930 uh, PT, so 1230 Eastern. And it went all the way up to my to Cowboys minus six. And I'm like, that's way too many points. Like we I literally just looked at Robbie's chart and said, okay, I'm putting another <laughs> unit down on, on Eagles plus six. So even though I had a really good feeling about the Eagles uh before the Hertz injury, where I had Eagles plus two, Eagles money line, now I'm on Eagles my, plus six. So um, you know, a lot of I do think the market kind of like overreacted too much to Jalen Hurts and not didn't account for how good the Eagles supporting cast, not only on offense, but defense, right? Like their defense has been playing pretty well. I know they kind of like did, they looked okay versus the bears. I think the bears kind of moved the ball on them a little bit more than I expected to them too. But I think they match up like pretty well with the Cowboys offense because uh, there to me, there really isn't a second receiving option to be worried about outside of CD Lamb. Michael Gallup isn't even like he, it doesn't even feel like either he's their second best receiver anymore. Noah Brown is their second leading receiver behind CD Lamb. Um, Darius Slay has been playing at a pretty high level all season. Avante Maddox, in my opinion, has been playing like one of the best slot corners in the NFL, shows mm-hmm. up pretty highly in me and Judah's um 
coverage metric among all slot corners. And then, you know, James Bradbury is um, kind of, I feel like more of a uh, on the ball type of guy instead of like a better in, he he's better at the catch point than like before the catch point, in my opinion. But like you can kind of like scheme around stopping CD Lamb because I think if you're the Eagles, like you have faith in your other corners to kind of handle business versus guys like Noah Brown and, and Michael Gallup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I agree with that. And I think there is, you know, kind of a edge there with James Bradbury, you know, not getting into the Pro Bowl uh, and instead of Trevon Diggs, who did get in. Uh, it would where Diggs has been having a good season, but Bradbury's been really, really good this year for the for the Eagles and you know I think they 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 just have so many players at every single level you know between uh Brandon Graham and Josh Sweat who I think can take you know advantage of a Cowboys uh, offensive line that's you know kind of been switching around their parts here you know from an edge perspective and then from a linebacker mm-hmm. perspective I think you know it could be a big Tony Pollard game but TJ Edwards and Kaiser White from from you know the Eagles linebackers core has like been good at basically everything this season and you know it helps to have a really good secondary really good defensive line and kind of fit linebackers in as the last piece of the puzzle but you know that's how the Eagles have built their roster and it's it's kind of worked out that way so you know if, if the pat you know the Cowboys path to putting up a lot of points runs through C.D. Lamb and Pollard and if the Eagles are, are you know doing well at stopping the, both of those things I think you know they can do that the problem is for the Eagles is Dak is playing at a really high level right now you know top 10 in EPA per play it's coming back from injury he did everything you know you could to deserve to win that game against the Jaguars and the last interception wasn't his fault and he's had he's had six interceptions this year that weren't deemed as turnover worthy plays which I think mm-hmm. is crazy you know tied for the most in the league so like Dak's not going to make many mistakes in this game the Cowboys you know secondary receivers might let him down but I think yeah. he can play at a high level to to do well in this game and, and kind of like put up a lot of points on this Eagles defense that maybe Minshew isn't able to keep up with. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, one of the things we like to talk about, like elite offenses usually overcome elite defenses. I, I think it's funny that Jordan Davis comes back and in the past three weeks, the Eagles have the second best run defense in the league <laughs> per EPA. Like it's a lot of, it's a, it's such a weird conversation because it's obviously more, you got to be careful with like saying he's the reason the Eagles are like the best in run defense among the span. I'm curious if you could guess who's the, who's the best run defenses over the past three weeks. Oh, best run defense over the, in the past three weeks. Um, I think are are the Lions up there? I don't know if they're. I don't know if they're, they're sure. one. <laughs> they are one. Okay, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, pretty. They played well this, these past couple of weeks. Very surprisingly, yeah. Yeah. No, their run defense has been has been a one pretty much. But yeah, I mean, with Jordan Davis back, it does seem like the Eagles are are able to stop the run a little bit more. Um, you know, one of the things I was looking at is it. it one of the things I liked about the Eagles is like they they adjusted their scheme once they realized they couldn't stop the run. So early in the season, their box counts on early downs, 6.6, 6.1, 6.2, 6.7, 6.4, 6.3, uh, then 6.3. And so at that last 6.3, which is week eight, that's when Jordan Davis got hurt. And after he got hurt, their box counts went to 7.2, 6.9, 6.6, 6.8, 7. And then he, he comes back. So you can see like they've adjusted their scheme to kind of like fit their defense with Jordan Davis and without Jordan Davis, which I think is the, is the makings of a smart organization. They fit their schemes to match their players instead of, you know, forcing the players to match the scheme if they don't have the pieces. Um, and, you know, last thing about this game, like we, we talked, like I, I'm curious if the Cowboys elect to play T.Y. Hilton 
in this game. I know it's like a random point, but they signed him as a secondary receiver because it doesn't seem like Odell is going to play this season. And at this point in his career, like T.Y. isn't a guy who's you're going to trust to separate all that often versus man coverage or or beat someone over the top. But he is like one of those smart, like savvy receivers, similar to like a Randall Cobb or something where he knows how to get open in zone mm-hmm. coverage. He knows how to sit in those holes. And we know the Eagles do play one of the more vanilla defensive schemes in the league. Not that play a vanilla defensive scheme is bad. They just, it's a lot of like playing zone, not stunting and just asking your guys to execute. And so I, I'm curious if they activate TY. I know it's a random point, but they, they desperately need a second receiving option to go against these pretty good defenses. And again, as our friend Sharp Clark pointed out, since Dak has come back from injury, they haven't really played that type of defense yet. So this will be a good test for the Cowboys offense, and I'm curious to see how they respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. How many podcasts are talking about T.Y. Hilton this week? I'm glad I'm glad we got to talk about him. When he got signed, I like, totally forgot that he was like, still like, available or anything. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big Will Fuller guy, so I was like waiting to see, you know, where he was going to get signed, kind of like this offseason, first couple of weeks of this season. But, you know, obviously now we know that he's, he's kind of done with, with this type of stuff, but I'm glad T.Y. is getting an opportunity here. Let's let's move on to our, our last game of the week that we're gonna preview on you know Sunday game first first game on Sunday Packers Dolphins uh, Miami are four point favorites at home and you know I think the matchup that is gonna be really intriguing here is Dolphins offense versus Packers defense you know with the two a discourse it always is and I know that you have some like really interesting points about uh, the, like press coverage in this game in general um so you know if you wanna go ahead there and, and kind of like say, say what you're thinking about press coverage and how the, the Packers defense are going to defend the Dolphins offense in this game. Yeah. So kind of like over the past three weeks, just watching the Dolphins play, we've kind of seen um, opposing teams use more press coverage started with the 49ers, the Chargers implemented it. The bills did it to an extent, but I don't think they were as physical at the line of scrimmage with Tyreek and Waddle. Like they weren't really getting their hands on the receivers. They were more just playing up and, and, forcing uh, Waddle and Tyreek to have like good releases, which they did multiple times throughout the game. But the Packers defense, it doesn't play press coverage that often. Remember, Joe Barry comes from the Rams, uh, Raheem, Mor- or Raheem Morris, Brandon Staley, like that kind of system where you don't really play press coverage that often. You're playing a lot of off coverage. You're forced like, because you're not trying to get beat over the top, right? Like press coverage, I feel like you there is a higher chance of like explosive plays because if you get toasted off the line of man coverage, you're done. So the Packers, they're kind of like philosophies to limit explosive plays, but they don't even do a good job at that. They play the sixth least amount of press coverage snaps this year um, among all their coverage players. When they do play press coverage, they're slightly below average, ranking 18th in EPA per pass. Um, and like I, I think their coverage players have been okay. Um, Jair, who's the kind of like the marquee guy in that in that uh Cornerback room got the big deal this offseason. He hasn't really been playing up to level. I would say Russell Douglas has actually been the rest corner. Eric Stokes has also been playing pretty well when he's on the field. But you can't really play the type of defense, you know, the Packers play against the Dolphins because, you know, you're giving a lot of space for Tyreek and Waddle to maneuver underneath and over the middle. And again, like we've seen uh, coaches like Brandon Staley and D'Amico Ryans kind of adjust their scheme to fit to, to kind of like oppose what the Dolphins are doing. But I don't think we've really seen Joe Barry kind of like alter a scheme to kind of like match their opponent. And I think that's something they're going to have to do in this game if they want to you know stay competitive on defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when you're playing against a team 
like the Dolphins that are a track team, uh, you need these really, you know, good safeties that can make tackles and, you know, put their coverage assignments the right way and stuff like that. And Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage as the Packers starting safeties have really regressed this season. And a, a, a big reason why a lot of us, you know, especially me were like really high on this Packers defense coming into the year was we, because we could kind of see the vision of, all right, you have, you know, Savage and Amos as you know, your safeties that could play really well there. And Jair Alexander, you know, should get back to the form that he was pre-injury. There's a lot of assumptions about these players staying at a high level like they were previously and like they've they've regressed pretty hard there and which kind of stinks because Jair Alexander versus either Tyree Kill or Jalen Waddell would have been a great matchup if we got the 2020 Jair Alexander he was sixth in yards allowed per coverage snap at only 0.6 yards allowed per coverage snap uh in 2020 seventh best forced incompletion rate at 21.7 percent and so this Mm. season he's 103rd in yards allowed per coverage snap allowing 1.33 um, in, in that stat and his forced incompletion rate is still 15%. So it's, it's like about the same as one 2020, but he's just not as good as, you know, keeping people from not getting open as, as he used to be. Part of it might be the scheme is not conducive to him, but part of it's just like he hasn't been able to get back to pre-injury form. So, you know, I think yeah. that's, there's, there's a lot of angles there, but at the end of the day, I think Miami needs to actually run the ball in this game more often than they have. And like, you will rarely hear that from one of us uh, to say for, to ask for a team to run the ball more. The Packers are allowing a 0.07 EPA per rush, which is the second worst in the league right now, only better than the Cleveland Browns uh, run defense, which is not exactly where you want to be. And so like, 14 compared to last week you know we saw Miami start to run the ball a little bit more especially on first and 10 and second and short but you pointed this out and I think it's true like they still passed way too often on third and short when you can get into your run looks there and kind of take advantage of this Packers defensive line I think that is going to be the plan more in this game you know going back to kind of like last year with the Eagles you know Nick Sirianni came out in a heavy pass attack you know having one of the highest pass rates in the league realized that that wasn't hurts his strength and hurts you know is really good as a design rusher and kind of adjusted his uh scheme because of that and i think we could see that from the dolphins just in a different perspective here where Tua, waddle and hill are getting the chief's treatment where teams are playing backers and safeties and then corners that where they where they can get help and like playing that press coverage and so there's not many defenders or bodies located in the run area in the box. So I think if Miami were to run the ball a lot more in this game, it could really help them, especially on the third and short plays that we talked about. Yeah, I I completely agree. They should be leaning on their run game a little bit more, especially in these third and short situations. I'm just curious to why McDaniel doesn't like to do it. I know the Dolphins offensive line isn't great. Connor Williams is still like one of the better centers in the league and you can just literally live in 21 personnel because Alec Ingold's probably the best fullback in the AFC potentially even in the NFL behind like mm-hmm. Kyle Juszczyk that you just run it right behind him up the A gap or B gap or something and it's not like the Packers I mean Kenny Clark's great but you can run away from him so I, I do think like the the Dolphins can run the ball a little bit more and yeah the thing with Quay Walker is He's an awful run defender. Like he, first of all, he's pretty light. He's only 240 pounds as a linebacker. So he's kind of, it feels like he's like a hybrid safety linebacker mix. But again, the reason the Packers drafted him is because of his athleticism. He comps like pretty well, like guys like Fred Warner. And again, like the the reason the Chargers and um, 
49ers had a lot of success kind of stopping the Dolphins is because their linebackers had the athleticism to get deep into into these hook zones. They were playing nine, 10 yards down the field instead of like linebackers typically playing only like five or six yards behind the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. right? So Quay Walker has the athleticism to make an impact in the passing game, but he is a terrible run defender because he's not, you know, he doesn't have any weight on his feet um, or weight on his body. And so I think the, the Dolphins can't take advantage of him in the run game, but if they're looking to like run their normal RPOs or play action stuff, I do think he has the athleticism to keep up and he's actually shown up pretty well and me and Judah's coverage metric ranking um, in the top five, even among all linebackers this year. Um, so I, I think in coverage, he's been great. And I think he could make an impact there, but he will probably be a net negative in the run game. If the dolphins decide to lean more into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, switching to the other perspective here, Packers offense versus dolphins defense. I think the Packers pass offense is starting to come alive here. They've had a positive EPA per pass five games in a row after only, you know, having a positive EPA for past the four of the first nine games of their season. So they're, I think they're starting to figure it out. And, you know, it, it starts really with the receivers there that they have uh, between Christian Watson and kind of like some of the secondary pieces. Christian Watson ranks 14th in yards per route run. Right now, uh, the Dolphins defense is very aggressive. They like to stack the line with six, seven guys right on the line of scrimmage. And I think Watson can really take advantage of that because – He's very hard to tackle with his speed once he gets the ball in his hands. And if a lot of Dolphins defenders are on the line and have to backpedal to try to get to the spot that Watson gets to early in his route, I think like he could really just like have a big day because of that. And Rogers is starting to trust him more. You know, we did have the one press conference clip after the game where he made fun of Watson for not running the right route, but PFF still has Rogers as the 11th best quarterback in the league this year, but he ranks 21st in EPA per play. So his supporting cast has let him down a little bit. And Kevin Cole's adjustment shows that he does get the fifth biggest positive adjustment once adjusting for supporting cast, but this supporting guest is starting to play better. And that's why like, I'm, I'm kind of bullish on the Packers pass offense going forward. I just don't know if they have enough juice to maybe beat some high end defenses, but a defense like the dolphins, I think they can take advantage of for sure. Yeah, the, the Dolphins' defense isn't very good at all. Um, Xavier Howard's kind of taken a step back. Uh, Kader Kahu is not that great of a corner, like Nick Needham, uh, Noah Igbenogany. Like, it's not a secondary to really be worried about outside of Javon Holland. And I do think, like, Aaron Rodgers, like, mentally, he's still there. Um, physically, I feel like his arm has, like, deteriorated a little bit. And his decision-making maybe has taken a, a bit of a step back. That one interception he threw to Taylor Rapp on um, mm-hmm. on Monday night was pretty bad. But, yeah, like, this is a great get-right game for Aaron Rodgers and uh, the rest of the, the Packers. Like, I, I do think the Dolphins are the better team. But um, if Rodgers and company can get hot for one game like they did versus the Cowboys – where you know maybe they they're able to kind of like throw it around a little bit. Christian Watson, Lazard, Romeo Dubs have have big games. I think the Dolphins secondary is definitely exploitable. They're not going to be playing in. I don't think they're going to be playing in any of these crazy weather games. They're going to be in Miami, right? So I'm sure the weather's pretty nice in Miami right now. Um. So yeah, I I think this could be a good game for them to get right. I know as you know, since you're a Lions fan, and there is a possibility the Packers maybe sneak into the playoffs. You don't really want that to happen, but um, you know, I, I definitely think it's in the realm of possibilities. And I think Aaron Rodgers is a quarterback who can take advantage of uh, a secondary like the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, okay. So taking off our analyst hats here, I'll, I'll put on my fan hat for a second as we wrap up this podcast. I have to admit, it's been haunting me that the Packers go 2-0 and 
over the next two weeks. The Lions also go 2-0, let's say, for example. And that Week 18 Packers-Lions game becomes a de facto playoff game. I know how Aaron Rodgers works. He loves making Lions and Bears fans miserable. I was there for the Hail Mary game. 2015, I saw how he reacted to that and how it was probably the greatest moment of his life, probably bigger than the Super Bowl because it happened in Detroit for him against the Lions, and I'm worried he's going to do it again to us where the Lions are going to have to go into Lambeau week 18, playoffs on the line, and he's going to tear us up like he always does in those types of situations. And then that'll be, you know, kind of the way that the Lions don't make the playoffs. So, you know, there's no, like, analytical evidence to support that. The betting markets actually do still list the Packers as the better team than the Lions, and that game would be in Lambeau. But I I could see a path, you know, where these Packers do win out and make the playoffs, which, you know, if that happens, like, it's, it's okay, but I, I am very worried that it has to come at the expense of my Lions uh, for them to make the playoffs there. Yeah, buddy, I am, I, I'm hoping that the Packers don't come to that, and I hope the Lions are able to to win out and, and make the playoffs. Uh, I mean, I'm in, I'm, I feel like I'm in a similar boat, except le- it should be less stressful, but Chargers have to beat Matt, or ne- now Nick Foles, Baker Mayfield, <laughs> and Brett Ripien or injured Russell Wilson to make the playoffs. Like I know I've kind of like said QB wins aren't a thing. And like, you know, just because Justin Herbert hasn't made the playoffs, he's not an elite quarterback, but like at this point, if he and Brandon Sealy can't figure out a way to beat these three teams, then Mm -hmm. I I probably will have to eat some crow and and just like say, yeah, Herbert's maybe not as good as I once thought, because I mean, he's been playing at a very high level the past couple of weeks since he's gotten healthy and his receivers have come back. But again, like these are three games where you're going to be favored by at least like five points in every game. You have to take care of business. I don't care if Joey Bosa's out. I don't care if Rashawn Slater's out. You've been winning games all year. Like just go take care of business, make the playoffs so we can finally put this Herbert isn't an elite quarterback is can't win big games thing to bed. Um, so yeah, we, we have our, our fan hats on for the rest of the year. It's going to, it's going to be a very fun stretch to, to finish out the season. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, from a fan perspective, like football is just like a fun time at the end of the day. And, you know, we do get caught up in the emotions of it, but to be playing meaningful games in December and into January is like what it's all about. Like, that's why you go through the entire off season to do this. And like, that's, what's so exciting about this going to the ESPN or 538 playoff simulator and clicking on different scenarios is like the peak of being a fan uh, of a team that's competing right now. And like, not a lot of fan bases, you know, get this opportunity to do this. And like, it's really exciting, I think for the both of us to be able to do this, but you just hope that your team can kind of close it out and make the playoffs. So, you know, that's, that's everything we have for, for this kind of preview episode here that we did today. We'll be back on Wednesday, uh, pre, you know, kind of reviewing the games that we just previewed and hopefully talking about some really good football that happened, you know, for everyone out there that are celebrating uh, the holidays here. Yeah. Again, hope you all enjoy it. And, also for everyone trying to finish up their big data bowl uh, that's due in a couple of weeks, like how we're finishing up our big data bowl project, you know, really good luck to everyone finishing that and submitting it. And we're both super excited to see all the big data bowl submissions that come through here over these next couple of weeks. It's a, it's a really fun time to be able to look at all of that stuff. So appreciate everyone listening. Be sure to review if you haven't already. And that's all we have to today. So until next time on Take the Points.